This morning, we're going to be in Proverbs 17, if you want to turn there. Proverbs 17, we're going to start there and move into chapter 18. And as you go, I want to read to you a quote, a quote maybe you have never heard in your life. The quote goes like this, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but guess what? Words will never hurt me. I would venture that we've all said that or at least heard that once in our lifetime. And I understand the positive uh, resilience that this quote is trying to do in the mind of the person that is saying it to themselves. This statement, however, I believe couldn't be further from the truth. Show me a person that has never been hurt by words and I will show you a person that's actually a microwave because I'm pretty sure a microwave isn't hurt by words. Pretty sure a microwave can't get hurt at all. Pretty sure a microwave is made out of plastic, metal, and electrical engineering. So show me a person that's never been hurt by words and I'll show you someone that's not a person at all. And if that's you, see me after the service, I have some leftovers I need warmed up. I'm making the point, I'm being emphatic. You guys know what I'm saying. The point is we've all been hurt by words. The very existence of this quote proves itself to be wrong, for it is only used by and for people who are being hurt by what? Words. As a coping mechanism. A coping mechanism for what? Words that are hurting us. This type of stuff kind of drives me crazy. Why? Because what it does is it puts the emphasis and the effort in our lives on the thing that's impossible. I, no, I'm not gonna let these words hurt me. The reality is words do hurt. Words are powerful. Words destroy and words bring some of the worst, most emotional pain in life. Words from people we love, even people we do not know. Words affect us. If the negative were actually true, if the negative were actually true, then the positive would have to be true as well. For instance, hugs and kisses may bring me comfort, but words won't help at all. Is that true? How many of us have actually been comforted by the words of someone, whether it be our spouse, whether it be a friend? How powerful are words in the moment when we feel like no one cares? Ask any married couple about the power of words, tone, communication, does it matter? Ask a teenager and a parent if words, tone, and communication trigger any emotion at all. Does it matter? If you're around someone who just lost a loved one, do you contemplate words or talk freely? Right? We're very sensitive to the moment, right? You don't just say anything. Sometimes you just don't say anything at all because of the sensitive nature of what words could do in the moment. I vote we change the quote to this. Here's what I vote we start saying with this quote. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do far worse. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do far worse. Why should we tell that to ourselves? Because it prepares us, one, before we open our mouth, and it also prepares us to be hurt. So we can actually start focusing on what to do with the hurt when words come in. Instead of just trying to play it off like it shouldn't hurt and thinking something's wrong with us that we're affected by people's words. Let me prove this biblically. Let me, let me give you some verses that prove the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, which we're going to be in, in verse 21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 15, four says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You ever been around someone who has thrust a sword into you with their words? You know what that's describing from the Bible? The reality of how painful and how destructive our words and our mouth and our conversation can be. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. We're like, what is an apple of gold in a setting of silver? But based off the context, we can know it's something good. A word fitly spoken, a word that comes right at the right time in your life from the right person that you're like, this has to be from God because this has just lifted my spirit. Proverbs 16 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Words are important. Our mouth and how we use it is very, very powerful. Let me give you some other verses. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. He says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. And then he says this, for by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. The point I'm trying to make is this, the Bible makes our words of utmost importance. After all, Jesus is called the word. And by it, dead people who hear those words and believe are brought to life. The wrong, errant words can influence people to kill, to steal, to do all manner of evil because of the influential words that they've heard and believed. The point I'm making here at the very beginning is that our words are extremely important. I hope we see that. I think we know that. Words are not flippant. So maybe you're asking this question. Okay, Jasper, I kind of see where you're headed. Why this sermon now? It, it, this is pastor's choice sermon. So obviously what you've prepared to speak on, you feel led out of anything else you could speak on to speak on this very thing. Well, great question. Great question. Let me answer it with this for two reasons. One, because of the reality that our mouths are powerful. The reality that our mouths are powerful. James 3 says this, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, right? Every time a forest fire happens, you, you think of these hundreds of mile long ranges of fire that, that destroy California or someplace that's arid and dry. They always trace it back to one little small little fire ash that was thrown out and it just set on, set on fire the whole course of the forest. And this is what James is saying about our tongue. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And get this, it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So why this sermon during this time? Why is this my church? One, because the, our mouths are very powerful. 
Secondly, because the reality that our mouths are out of control right now. Proverbs 10 says, when words are many, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Or in other sense, where there is abundance of words, you can be sure sin is present. And as we're going to see in our, our passage today, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Our lives right now, currently, 2020, are surrounded by a million voices. And we're all saying a million things. Far more than any person has ever been able to in history because of our ability to communicate universally and constantly and consistently. In the middle of the night, when we are in the the safety and the privacy of our own home, we are still able to be bombarded by every single voice on the planet. Can you imagine, you, you literally can hear what China is saying to you in the comfort of your own home in 2020. When these verses were written, these verses were absolutely true then, but true during a time when communication was a fraction of what it is able to be now. So the point I'm making is more so than ever do we need these words. What's at risk if we do not heed these warnings and these exhortations this morning? What's at risk? One, our unity with one another. Words can destroy unity among brothers and sisters. And we, we know that Jesus himself prayed in John 17, prayed for the future believers, prayed for us. And one of the things he made in his prayer out of all the words he could have used to pray for us, he prayed for unity and like-mindedness, that the evil one would stay far away and he would protect us from division. Our words can destroy our unity with one another. Our words can destroy our peace with one another, our love for one another, Our words can destroy, get this, our words in the mouth of foolishness can destroy our personal happiness and joy. Now, let me explain that because that's a very relative subjective term. Wisdom from scripture, wisdom could be defined as this. Wisdom can be something that is it factual knowledge that you know and the discernment to be able to take that knowledge and do with it what you need to. And the Bible is trying to tell us all the time, here's what is true, and here's what you need to do with it. Or here's what is true, but that doesn't quite yet take you from being a fool to being a wise person. Once you have that knowledge, you're able to discern what it is you need to do with it. That would be wisdom. And wisdom, if you start reading through all of the scriptures, will begin to tell you that God is trying to bring you knowledge that will actually bring you happiness and joy. That, that wisdom is more to be desired than golds and riches. Why? Because wisdom can buy something money can't. Happiness. Paul told Timothy, you would do well to... Stay in and study the scriptures, the holy scriptures of God, because it is the wisdom that will lead unto your salvation. It is the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God that the ears hear and believe and apply that actually saves dead people. It's wisdom. Wisdom is Jesus. It's the embodiment of who he is and what he said and what he did. God says, my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. So that means his words and his mouth and how he speaks is higher than ours. And wisdom is given by God as a beautiful, beautiful gift to lead us to happiness and joy. Now, if you think happiness and joy and you're thinking money, you're thinking job, 
You're thinking in human terms, not in godly terms, because the wisdom of God is leading us unto salvation. The wisdom of God points us to the glorification of God and the likeness of God. The wisdom of God helps us now practically how we live and function around one another to actually live in peace and unity with one another. So what's at risk? Many things, our personal happiness and joy being one of them. How about this? You know what else is at risk? Our gospel influence. You, you, could be, you could be the greatest evangelist for the Lord, but if your mouth is the mouth of a fool, you will deteriorate and destroy every bit of work and influence for the gospel in your life. It can all be caught on fire and destroyed by our mouths. Our gospel influence is at stake. Our destiny is at stake. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son. Becoming like Jesus involves our mouth being transformed, involves wisdom, and then ultimately this, our number one purpose for existence. You know what's at stake? Our glorification of God, God being glorified by our life. Do you know what the Bible calls a person whose words, whose mouth is out of control? The Bible calls that person a fool, someone who's lacking knowledge, someone who's, who's acting outside of understanding and knowledge. So if we are all walking around with a nuclear bomb between our cheeks, what's the solution? If we're all walking around with something so poisonous and so restless and potentially so evil, then we must pay attention to the wisdom of scripture that is trying to come in and help us. So this morning, what we're gonna go through is three absolutely essential Christ-like disciplines for our mouths. These are three absolutely essential Christ-like disciplines for our mouths if we want to avoid being the fool and avoid bringing shame upon the name of Christ. The first one is this. Learn restraint. Proverbs 17, look at verse 27. Proverbs 17, verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Already in that verse, we are leading ourselves towards wisdom because wisdom involves having knowledge, having understanding, having discernment. And so the person who's able to restrain their words is told to be with someone who has knowledge. And a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Look at verse 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Now, our words are very powerful and wisdom is screaming at us saying that the person who's marked by wisdom or at least seemingly by wisdom is the person who's able to restrain their words. If we want to make sure that our words are not being a part of this mass of confusion and our words are bringing life, bringing encouragement and bringing hope, there are many times, more so than not, that our words need to be restrained. And so first discipline we must learn is restraint. Now he says here, even a fool, so you can still be foolish, lack knowledge, lack understanding, but you can at least seem intelligent by restraining your words. Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be 
few. It's a status of humility, understanding who we are. Man, I'm on earth. I've only lived for a fraction amount of time of, of history and, and a, an infinitesimal time on the plane of eternity. I must realize that I don't know everything. I must realize this. I must be more in tune with what I don't know and my foolishness than me thinking that I'm wise in my own sight, which Romans 12 told us not to be. In the book of Job, Job is lifted as a man who did not do anything to bring shame upon God. But Job had many things and many questions that he said with his mouth. Why, God? Why? If I could just plead my case, if I could just speak to God, and what does God do? He brings friends that show that they don't know what they're talking about. One friend who's the youngest actually, actually uh, honors God in his words, and then Job finally gets to speak to God, and you know what God did? God spent the whole time telling Job what he doesn't know. Where were you? Where were you? Where were you when I did this? You don't know as much as you think you do, Job. And you know what Job's response was after hearing and getting to hear God speak? He said this, behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Wisdom, wisdom learns restraint. How about this? When should we restrain? Does the Bible talk about anything, that, anything about when we should restrain our words? I have a list here. I'm not going to read the verses, but I am going to read you the implications of the verses. And if you want to go and seek these out, listen to the sermon later and you can write down these verses. When should we restrain our words? In the heat of anger, Proverbs 14, 17. If the issue is none of your business, 14, 10. If you can't say it without screaming, 25, 28. If you have already said it more than once, 19, 13. If your words will come back to bite you, 18, 21. If your words are gossip, 16, 28. If you would be ashamed of them later, 8, 8. If your words damage someone's reputation, 16, 27. If your words misrepresent the Lord, friends or family, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23. If your words offend a weaker person, 1 Corinthians 8, 11. If your words convey the wrong and Impression, 1727, when it is time to listen, 131 of Proverbs, when you are feeling critical, James 3 9, when you supposed to be when you are supposed to be working instead, 1423, when you are tempted to flatter a wicked person, 2424, when you are about to joke about sin, 149, when you are tempted to lie, 424, when you don't have all the facts, 1813, when you haven't verified the story, Deuteronomy 17, 6. There are many I would say more than not times where we should probably not talk than do talk. Essential disciplines, Christ-like disciplines that we must have in our life to avoid having a mouth of a fool that will bring destruction upon people in the name of Christ. We must learn restraint, we must. The wise person would say something like this. I have a greater understanding of this scenario, but I will not speak because it is not about being right and winning an argument. It's about glorifying the Lord and helping build up one another. The fool will say, if I think it, I'll say it. Secondly, this, the next discipline we must have. This, this might sound confusing at first, but let's look at the context. The, first, the second discipline we must have if we want to avoid a foolish mouth is we must live in community. We must live in community. Look what he says in chapter 18, verse 1. He says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. What is this verse saying? This verse is describing someone who would isolate themselves. Do you know what that means? Break out from the assembly. Break out from the group and the mass and separate themselves and isolate. 
What is that person doing when that person seeks to be alone, seeks isolation, seeks to be away from the group or the body or the assembly of God? It says that person is seeking their own desire. They have something that they want that they're trying to get. And it says this, he breaks out against all sound judgment. It is the opposite of wisdom. What does this have to do with our mouth? Well, a discipline of making sure that our mouth is learning and we are hearing the exhortation and hearing the counsel and applying wisdom to our mouth if we are isolated, not in and amongst one another, not purposely putting ourselves in a scenario where we say, you know what, I need, I need the exhortation and the rebuke and the mindset and the opinions and the thoughts and the counsels of my brothers and sister. I need to hear that. If we aren't saying that, then we're learning from ourselves and ourselves, our heart is desperately wicked above all things and it will lead us astray. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs fifteen twenty two: without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 24, 6, surely you need guidance to wage war and victory is won through many advisors. You know what the first lesson that God taught mankind was? Book of Genesis, what was the first lesson? It is not good for man to be alone. This was pre-sin. I want mankind to know this right off the bat. It is not good to be alone. Hell itself is described as a place that is separation from God, that is isolation, that is loneliness, that is dark without light. I think in this moment now, what we have to do is we have to, we have to be willing to search our own heart. Do I struggle with this? Am I someone who seeks isolation? Am, am I someone who, who would rather be alone than be with brothers and sisters? I'm not talking about, are you extroverted? Are you introverted? Because you can be extroverted and hang around people and still be foolish, still ignore sound judgment that's around you. What I'm saying is the spirit working on your heart, our heart to say right now, no man, I am seeking isolation and I don't know what to do about it. Well, the first thing we do is recognize that it is not going to help. We, we must not believe the lie of our heart that we've already counseled ourselves in, that I can do this alone. I can be by myself. You know, the number one thing about those who struggle with drug addiction is isolation. When they isolate, they isolate because they're seeking their own desire. Why are they isolating? I wanna get away from people who will influence me to not hurt myself. So I wanna get away from them so I can do the thing that I want to do and be the way I want to be. I have to get away from people. Coming together for an hour and a half doesn't suffice. We must be in community. We must live in community. And guess what? We live in a time, a time of history where our living quarters are already far more isolated from one another than back in biblical times. Man, they, they almost had to sleep on top of one another. They, they couldn't get away from one another, but yet they were still able to isolate. So how much more are we able to isolate from one another, live our own lives, live in privacy and be away from one another because of our individualism, because of our whatever it is we think and excuse our privacy because we don't trust people and then we deceive ourselves because, you know, I, hey, I, I do this. I, I, I meet. 
I go, that this is not what I'm talking about. I'm saying you must live, you must be in the presence, you must surround yourself and seek yourself and rather be around brothers and sisters than be away from them. Bring it back to the mouth. This affects the tongue. This is part of the cure for the mouth of the fool. Part of the reasons the, the mouth of the fool is rampant and out of control is because of their isolation. Either one, they've pushed people away or they seek to be away from people. This can't be true about us. And if it's true about us, we can be sure that probably our mouth is out of control. We are counseling ourselves. The wise person would say this, left to myself, I will only learn from myself and become twice the fool for it. Lord, keep me in the presence of a multitude of counselors. I need it. It's the heart of the wise. The fool says, all of these people are stupid, undependable, and untrustworthy. I'm not going to keep putting myself in these situations to be humiliated by their suggestions and counsels. I'll do it myself. God, keep these people away from me. Disciplines we must have for 2020 during a time of millions of voices when everybody's throwing out opinions, when everybody's throwing out what's right, when everyone's saying what's right, what's wrong, when everyone's talking about what they want to do and what they think everyone else should be doing. Two things already. We need to learn restraint. We need to learn to be quiet more than speak. Secondly, secondly, we, we must seek to live in community with one another and resist isolation. Thirdly, this, we must love listening to others. We must love listening to the others. Look at verse two of chapter 18. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no understanding, no, no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his or her opinion. Now, Jasper, why didn't you just say, listen to others? Why did you say love listening to others? Because the issue here with the fool is they take no pleasure in hearing and learning from others. You ever been around someone who you're talking to and you're both trying to have a conversation and, and you have to kind of like, interrupt the person to get a word in edgewise. And then they, they, they might be quiet because you interrupted them. And then when you start speaking and you say something to them, their eyes kind of gloss over and glaze over. And then when you're done speaking, they pick up right where they left off. That's a sign of a fool. You will not make many friends that way. You'll not get the ear of people when you're trying to speak the gospel because you have been foolish with your mouth and you have pushed people away and they don't want to hear what you have to say because they don't believe you even care about them. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. You know what I thought of when I first read this? You know, the first thing that came to my mind was social media. You see, earlier in chapter 17, the fool is deemed to be intelligent if they keep silent. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us have seemed intelligent. I'm, I'm including myself in this. A lot of us seem intelligent, but what social media does is social media takes any doubt away. Because what we do is in the privacy of our own homes and we're not face to face with people, we're not looking them in the eyes, we say whatever it is we want to say. Do we really believe that our Facebook posts are changing people or are they only provoking people? Social media is, is a chasm, a chasm of foolishness. And social media represents this verse perfectly. I take no pleasure in listening to other people. Actually, what other people say only provokes me to anger. 
And so what I will do is use this as a platform to finally say all the things I would rather say and hear. I'd rather hear my own mouth speaking. Why is this so serious and why is Jasper talking about this right now? Because we have a greater purpose and that is to share the gospel, to live the gospel and to share the gospel. And if our mouths are not in check during this time of absolute eternal instant communication, the enemy is gonna take opportunity by of it, by it, to throw foolishness in the world. So when we do use our mouths to speak the gospel, it has no effect. We do know God's word does not return void. So even out of the mouth of foolishness, God's word will still be good. But I don't want to hinder it. That was the heart of Paul. He'll give up anything, any right, any freedom, anything in order to not offend the gospel. Now, what I don't have here is a list of seven things that you must do to make sure you don't hinder the gospel. The, the, the key thing is, is you must care more in your heart about expelling the gospel into the world, like throwing it out. I'm, I, want, I care more about people hearing the gospel and being led to Jesus than about hearing my opinion. You have to, if you care about that more, I promise you, your posts and the things you say will already be restrained. Because it's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Speak the truth in love, right? Many of us have the knowledge and we speak truth, but the way we say it can also hinder as well. Look what he says here in verse three. He says here, when wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The hard thing about the book of Proverbs is sometimes you isolate a verse and it's like, hey, what does that have to do with the one before it? Sometimes they're isolated. Sometimes they have nothing to do with it. And sometimes you have to find where it ends, where the main thought ends. Well, two more verses are coming. This one and the next one that have to do with what we've read so far. In the context of what we've been talking about, when wickedness comes, what is uh, wickedness in the context of this passage? It's the, it's the mouth of the fool. It's described as wickedness. When the person who has a foolish mouth that is out of control, that doesn't know restraint, that is isolated and doesn't live listening to others, when they come, they come into a conversation, look what they bring with them. I don't want this to be any of us and God doesn't either. This is why he bestows wisdom upon us to help us. So we'll avoid these things. And guess what? This is every single one of us until God changes us. Every single one of us has this problem. Not singling out anyone, every single one of us. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also. And with, dis and with dishonor comes disgrace. We bring shame upon ourselves. We, we invite the anger and the frustration and the contempt of others on our life. None of us want that. None of us are actively pursuing that. But if you want to avoid it, our mouths have to be control controlled by the Spirit motivated by the gospel. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also. And with dishonor comes disgrace. This is what we want to avoid. This is why he said what he has said before to show us if we don't get this, this is what we'll be inviting in every group and in every area of our life we walk. But the foolish person can't see it. The foolish person will blame everybody else instead of saying that maybe I'm the issue. Look at verse six. Verse six says, a fool's lips walking to a fight and his mouth invites a beating. Seven says a, a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are a snare to his soul. You see the seriousness of this? Verse eight says the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels that go down in the inner parts of the body. That's talking about gossip. We love it. It's like, it's like a, a, I don't know, some type, like a fudge round. Maybe not everybody likes a fudge round. It's like an apple pie with vanilla bean ice cream on top. Oh man, it is so good. And it goes down, down, down into the tum-tum where it makes me feel real good. That's what he's saying, gossip whisperers are like. But look at verse four, he contrasted. 
Verse four says, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. This is what we want to seek. You see, the point of today is not just to say, watch your words. The point of today is say, hey, watch your words because not only can they bring damage beyond anything you could ever imagine, you can bring destruction upon the name of Christ and even the goal of the gospel that you're trying to do, but your words can also be the opposite. They can be a life-giving tree, a fruit of wonder and wisdom, something that comes and changes people's lives, something that comes at the right time that, that talks a person off of ledge from taking their life to living in encouragement. Your words can bring life to people. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when we have a mouth that's concerned with what God thinks and what God says, then we are God on earth that's bringing life to people. Our words are powerful, not to just be avoided, but something to seek. God, I want my words to build people up and to help them. I want people to see the gospel because that's what your words did for me. This is why this is so important. Brothers, sisters, summit, our words are powerful. Think about the power of Jesus' words in our own life. When Jesus was reviled, spoken at and mocked with his mouth and fought against and, and unrighteously condemned guilty when he was absolutely innocent. Which one of us, if we were innocent and being told to be guilty, wouldn't use our words to try to defend ourselves? You know what Jesus did in that moment? He did not revile in return. Jesus' words from the cross when people were killing him and mocking him and gambling over his clothes were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The proverb says that a soft answer turns away wrath, right? Wrath comes. Do we provoke wrath and build it upon itself? Or we have in the heart and the mind of Jesus that realizes, hey, everything okay? What's going on? Jesus prayed for all of us for protection and unity. Jesus' words were the words that said, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I think about the words of Jesus that could be both cutting, but encouraging and comforting and rebuking all at the same time, but they never led to someone going into despair. Think about Peter. Peter used his words to deny the person he said he would die for. Peter's words were used to prove to those who were listening and around him, I don't love Jesus and I will choose my comfort in the moment than standing up for him when it's hard and when it may bring suffering. And what does he do? He goes away and he weeps bitterly. You see what his foolish mouth brought? It brought so much pain and anguish and agony. And then the last thing that Peter experienced was the very man he denied being killed in the most horrible way, and he's dead in a tomb, and he's not able to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I imagine what it was like for those three days. Peter, all he could think about was the last stand he made for the very guy he said he'd die for. Oh, but the words of Jesus, the words of Jesus when he rose from the dead, and the angel said to Mary, go tell the disciples, and Peter, and Peter, tell him what? That he's alive. What do you think those words did to Peter in those moments, right? Because we hear when Peter heard those, man, they ran. They ran and they saw the tomb was empty. And then Jesus finally appears to Peter and guess what Jesus' words were. They weren't condemning. They were accepting and they were forgiving. They were also cutting. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? God, you know that I love you. 
Jesus affirmed and confirmed his relationship with Peter. When Peter deserved death and he deserved destruction in that one because of what he did and what he said, the words of Jesus are always coming to build, not destroy. How about the rest of the Bible? The rest of the Bible is God's words to us as a great love letter of compassion and love that are leading us to a place of wisdom and eternal life. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Ephesians 4, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head. Christ from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies according to effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That involves our words. We can't do that without our words. How are our words? Are they building one another up? Is this church growing or is it slowly being deteriorated because each and every one of us are using our words not to build, but to express our own opinions, isolate, segregate, get into our cliques. Are we pressing more into unity? I'm not I know sometimes when I say something like that, it's like, oh, what is he assuming is happening here? No, these are just words that we must always hear, always. Doesn't mean that there's something specific going on. Colossians 4 says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. People need to see the gospel. Walk in wisdom, your behavior, and towards outsiders, redeeming the time. That doesn't require talking. That requires our life. Living, our actions speak louder than our words. We must walk in wisdom towards outsiders. They need to see that the gospel has changed us. But you know what the very next verse says? Let your speech be always gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer every single man, person. Remember, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can do far worse How about this? Tylenol and ibuprofen is good for a while, but words can last forever. The one thing that I'm afraid of, the one thing that I fear and I think that we should pray against is the enemy during this time of things not going exactly the way we want them to, that our, our chatter becomes incessant. Where words are many, sin is sure to be present. That we as the church, we begin speaking And the world sees the church speaking opinions about what they think's right and where it is and how it should go, da, da, da. And the world sees nothing different in us. Church, this is very important. We don't need to speak as much as we think we do. Let us learn restraint. Let us seek to live in community, not isolation. And let us love, love, not put up with, but love listening to others rather than our own voice. After all, this is the heart of Jesus. This is how he lived around us and the way Jesus lived and the things he said have brought salvation to those who hear and believe. God, may Summit Church body the same type of mouth and influence in the world that you have for us. Bless us and be patient with us, we pray. Amen. I wanna have a final prayer as the team comes up to sing. And I want us all individually to take a moment to pray over the areas of our life, maybe where our mouth 
is out of control and God has convicted us of. So I'm gonna pray for just a second and I'm gonna give you opportunity to deal with the Lord. Father, I pray for patience with me. Um, I have to admit the whole time during the sermon, feeling like a hypocrite the whole time, every single rebuke, every single exhortation, every single warning I am guilty of. So I'm including myself and my brothers and sisters. We need this and we need your help because our tongue is an unruly evil and we can do far more damage than we could ever imagine with it. God, we want to love you. We want to help you. We want the great commission to ring true in our lives. So God, help us now push out the evil one that would, that would not allow us to be convicted right now. And I pray that you'd in these next minute or two convict us and encourage us and move us to the place of wisdom, we pray. God, I can't help but to think about Isaiah as he saw the vision of you standing before you. The first thought that came to his mouth was, God, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst the people with unclean lips. And God, the forgiveness and the purification you brought in that moment through the coal of his confession. God, we confess that without you, we can do nothing. And our, our tongues and our mouth can be unruly. But God, we know with you, you will make these these voices receive hope. You will make them life-giving words. We pray that you would do that for our neighbors, for our co-workers, for one another, for the world. With what little time we have left, our words would bring life. Do that for us, God, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.